Live from our studio in Babson Park, Massachusetts, it's the Fred Obie Show, where we unpack history to positively impact the future. I am Fred Opie, your host. Thanks for joining us live or listening to the podcast. I need some women folk, Hall of Famers. I need to know who they are, local Hall of Fame or national. That would be a great interview for the show, preferably over the age of 40, because you have lived life and have some experience you can share. Please send that person's information. You can find all my information on my uh, website, fredopi.com. There's a food blog. For those who don't know, I work as a food historian, and there's a ton of really interesting content and recipes on there. You can see the link to my book page. You can see all six books that I've published in my most recent one, Start With Your Gift, the real deal about life and get ready for life. It's there. If you are planning an event and you're looking for a guest speaker, let me know if you're interested in having me come to speak. I love coming and speaking. So here's the deal. If you take a course with me as part of the process, I interview each of my students asking them questions similar to the ones I ask on my show such as, what's the oldest thing you know about your family history? Well, you guys know I'm a historian, so of course I'm going to ask that. Share a hero, hardship, and highlight in your life. When was the last time you cried and why? So why do I do this? Because it builds rapport among the students. Students tell me it's one of the things they love that I do in the class. It helps them get to know their classmates and me more. This is a great exercise that I learned from reading John Gordon's book, the power of a positive team, for creating a positive team culture from the first class until the end. If you're a coach, I strongly suggest that you do it. You can certainly do it on your corporate job. It's a great team builder, and I highly recommend it. On the last day of class, which was last night, by the way, I asked the students a number of questions in reflection about the course, such as, Before this course, I didn't know this about U.S. history, the civil rights movements, and or topic we covered in in the course. So I asked them that question for their response, and they tell me what they learned in the class about those topics, U.S. history, the civil rights movement, and other topics we covered in the course. As a result of this course, I now know how to, and they tell me, what did they learn how to do. So, for example, in my course, I don't do traditional papers. I have the students read the content and I have them write a blog post in response. And then halfway through the course, they switch from learning how to write a blog post to learning how to do a podcast. So when the class is over, they learn how to use all kinds of new techniques and new tools such as Photoshop, audio edition, how to edit audio, how to edit photos, and a bunch of other things, how to cite. But many of them only know how to cite using the MLA format. Well, let me ask you, do you know how to do footnotes? Many people don't. I learned a lot from, and I asked them to share, from among your colleagues, who did you learn from? Give them a shout out and tell them what you learned from them. I asked them, I wish we had to answer the question, I wish we had more time to, and they tell me, they provide some great feedback. I started using the blog post, not only as a way of them answering a discussion question, but I also use the blog post as a jumping off point to unpack the discussion questions related to the assigned reading. That came from this process of asking students if we had, I wish we had more time for, and they said, I really wish we would actually spend more time on the blogs that we create. Another question, Professor Opie, 
have you thought about teaching blank course? I get some great suggestions. One of the students said you should teach personal brand marketing. This is one of the things I, I show them in the class, how to market their blog. Another student said you should do a basic class, an intro to U.S. history class, because at Babson we have a lot of foreign nationals who don't come in with the same knowledge that our traditional students born and raised here in the United States do. So I told them, I said, yeah, that would actually be pretty cool. Do a course, I was thinking, on U.S. history in which even students who have gone through the U.S. school system, I would teach them topics that they might not necessarily know. For example, how did Abraham Lincoln feel about African-Americans? I've taught this actual lesson before. The question is, which Lincoln? And I show the evolution of Abraham Lincoln over the course of his political life. They said you should teach a class on cooking. So in this course, which I'll tell you a little bit more about in a second, we have a place on campus known as the Wiseman Foundry. And it's a location where we have a kitchen, we have a complete workshop. If you wanna do sewing, if you wanna do pottery, all that's available in this. And so this summer course ran inside the Wiseman Foundry. And as part of the class on food and civil rights, we cooked. In fact, we cooked from my book, which was the basis of this course. It's a book called Southern Food and Civil Rights, Feeding the Revolution. And in the book, there are actual recipes from the time period. So for example, in the class, we talked about the Montgomery bus boycott. So in that chapter, talk about some of the foods that would have evolved around, for example, an organization known as the Club from Nowhere, which raised money for the Montgomery bus boycott by selling baked goods. So there is a recipe for pound cake in the actual chapter from Alabama during the 1950s. And we made that recipe, by the way, it was really good. So those are the kind of things that they say, well, why don't you just, why don't you just do a course on cooking? And I think that's a, it's a pretty cool idea. I'm definitely going to have to consider that. They said, you should do a course on public speaking. You should do a course on how to interview for a job. And these are things that come out in the class between just talking about history or in the process of actually doing the interview. So I share with them a lot of things that I do actually on this show and expose them to what it's like to actually create their own podcast. Another question I asked him is, tell me a difference, something that you like about the way I teach. And they overwhelmingly talk about the fact that I share the practical things that are going on in my life as an entrepreneur, as the host of a show, as a podcaster, as an author, as a public speaker. So they, they learn a lot from that. They also like the fact that for example, one of the things we did with this class is take a break. We actually go do a walk and talk. So we'll walk around campus during that break. And it's a way for me to interact with the students, but at a level that is not so rigid. And they just like the access. They like the mentoring. They like that they have the ability to ask me questions about their careers and what they're, what's going on in their life. You know, those are the kind of things we talk about. Before the last class is over, which happened last night, by the way, I give the students the opportunity to interview me. That's what you're about to hear. They jump on that opportunity. I've never heard a class say, no, we don't want to interview you. So they've been interviewed all semester long. They've heard all of them, sometimes a class of 20, sometimes a class of 30, and they've been interviewed, so they want to interview me. And so what we do is I give them opportunity to ask some of those same questions that I ask on my show. I record it because family, friends, and former teammates are 
often will ask me, what's it like to be a college professor? What are the students like? So by recording this interview, in some ways, I'm able to answer those questions that people ask me. So let me tell you a little bit about the course before you hear the interview so you get some context. In the course entitled Food and Civil Rights, it's based, as I mentioned, on my book, Southern Food and Civil Rights. One learns that there have always existed movements for social justice around the world among marginalized groups of people. And food has been at the center of civil rights movements in one way or the other. For several weeks, we asked questions such as, how do progressive organizations raise the funds necessary to pay for their programs, staff, and campaigns? How have striking workers fed their families? What individuals and groups made important food-related contributions to movements? Where did organizations meet and strategize? So we used the book, and not only the book, but other readings, and a couple movies. The movie The Great Debaters, starring Denzel Washington and Forrest Whitaker, and also the movie Selma. You will hear me refer to The Great Debaters in response to one of the students' questions, by the way, in a couple of minutes about my family history. Oh, the oldest thing I know about my family? The family name originally was Opia, not Opie. That came from a great-great-grandfather that came from the Caribbean, settled in the South. We believe he was a cook with a railroad. Railroads used to go work put to a place and then they'd move on to someplace. But he came to, to this area of North uh, uh, Virginia and evidently met who would have been my great-great-grandmother, settled there, bought property, and when he went to sign the property, the deed, the white magistrate, even though he gave him the name Opia, the right magistrate wrote down Opie. And you didn't question, you all seen the great debaters. You didn't question people. So that's how the, the last name got changed. But that's probably the oldest thing I know about family history. So here's some additional information on my family. My mother's side of the family came from Windsor, North Carolina. Her family settled in Ossie, New York, in Westchester County, in the Hudson Valley, where Sing Sing Prison is located. Croton on the Hudson is the bordering town to Austin. Some of the town's older African-American residents have returned and retired in Windsor, which is a pretty interesting thing. Reverse migration going on uh, here in the United States with many African-Americans going back to the South and retiring there. My father's family is from a small hamlet in Virginia, not far from the University of Virginia called Bremo Bluff. It's located just down the road from Fork Union Military Academy. I understand that's where Vinnie Testaverde did his postgraduate year after high school on Long Island before going on to stardom at the University of Miami. My grandmother and grandfather migrated to North Tarrytown, New York, and they met, I believe, after they arrived. North Tarrytown has changed the name to Sleepy Hollow, more than likely for the purpose of drawing tourist dollars. Many of the people in North Tarrytown slash Sleepy Hollow are from Virginia. At least I found that out when I did research on it. The show will be right back. For related content on negotiating the world of school and sports, visit our website at fredopi.com. Check out our podcast archive and review the show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. You can purchase a copy of my autobiography slash career advice, Start With Your Gift, on Amazon.com. We are the sum total of the people we spend time with and the books we read. Be a difference maker right now. Purchase two or more paperback copies of Start With Your Gift. Give them away and make a positive impact on someone's life. The book is available in digital form as an ebook and audiobook. Welcome back to this edition of The Fred Opie Show. 
Three heroes and one. Three heroes, wow. And I'm going to do it in chronological order. Number one, Frederick Douglass, who I'm named after, who was an abolitionist. He was a tremendous hero for me because I struggled with school from a very early age with a learning disability I told you all about. And Frederick Douglass took away my excuse for not working hard. So it was illegal for him to learn how to read and write. And he pursued it, he persisted, he even used food to manipulate uh, these poor white kids who learned how to read and write but didn't have food. And he traded the food to learn how to read and write. So it just took away the excuse that I had when I was having problems in school. The next one would be Malcolm X, who was a self-taught historian. He was another guy. He wasn't very educated, you know, kind of dropped out of, never went to college. But yet while he was in jail, when he made his conversion, one of the things he started to do was reading every book in the library. And he said in his autobiography that history awards those that pursue it more than any other discipline. So it's one of the reasons why when I was thinking about grad school, I remember reading Malcolm and his comment about history and the fact that he was a self-taught guy that by the end of his life he was lecturing at Oxford and, and England and Harvard. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Guy has no college degree, but he was just that smart. So, and then the third one would be my dad. He just was another guy. My dad never, he had no more than maybe one semester at community college. He said, I remember when I interviewed him. I would suggest this book to all of you, it's called Questions for Your Father, and it gives you the ability to have a list of questions you can ask your dad. And my, my dad's generation, they just didn't talk a whole lot, you know, they didn't share a whole lot. So the book gave me an opportunity to get my dad to open up, and he's literally dying of leukemia at the time, so he was, you know, he's, he was always very transparent. But I asked him some questions that I just never knew, and one of the things he said, I said, well, what did you really want to do with your life? And he said, I want to be an attorney. Really? I mean, like, I'd never, you know, I'm like, I don't know, my 40s at the time, I had never heard him say that. And he said, I didn't want to just be an attorney. He said, I wanted to be like Thurgood Marshall, the attorney for the NAACP. He wanted to litigate before the Supreme Court, the civil rights legislation. I was like, I was like what? I, I'd never heard it before. He said, but I had a learning disability, and it was too hard for me to do it, and I tried it, but they didn't have the kind of support that you have, you know, and I'm so glad that you did it, but that really inspired me. Because he was smart, my dad, you could, you could talk to him just like a college professor. He read a lot, he just never got a college degree. So those would be my three. Sorry, long answer, I forgot. Perfect vacation day, what are you doing? It's really hard for me to stop working. <laughs> I like what I do, but I'm also, I, I think in the back of my mind is that kid in high school who didn't do well. And so I'm still probably trying to prove to myself and others that I'm legit. So working is something I love, but it's also probably tied into the low self-esteem when I didn't work. But when I do get a vacation, I love to travel. I'm planning a trip to Africa, the West. West Africa and that's what I'm really excited about so going to Ghana, Nigeria, Guinea-Bissau and maybe to East Africa to Uganda. I love knowing somebody on the ground who's local and knows the way around so you can meet their family, you can go to the market, you can eat with the locals. I do not like being treated 
like a tourist. I like, I like embedding with the regular people. That's probably my favorite type of vacation. What was the happiest moment in your life? Huh. Well, there's do I, I, only one. Happiest moment. Oof. Happiest one, knowing that she's going to hear this recording, it would be the day I got married. <laughs> that I'd probably be the one I would choose the day I got married. Yeah. When's the last time you cried and why? You know, I can tell you, at 56, I, it's easy for me to cry. When I was younger, it was hard. So the last time I cried, probably is when I thought about uh, my, my son, who's been going through a lot, and understanding why he was going through so much difficulty and me not, me not really understanding what was going on. Just thought he was just being a knucklehead versus he had some real issues. And when I understood it, I think the empathy for what he was going through caused me to cry. But I, I, can, pretty, I can cry pretty easy. I, I cried last semester of class twice. And so it's just one of the things where the testosterone level in my body at 56 is a lot lower. When it was your age, you know, it was hard to cry. What's something besides crying that has changed from your personality after parenthood? Oh, after parenthood. You all should be very glad that I had a daughter. I think every man needs to have a daughter. It will change your perspective. It will mellow you out. You can't talk to your son and your daughter the same way. They're just very different. Like, for example, both my kids love lacrosse. But what does my daughter love about lacrosse? Being with her friends on the team. What does my son love? Scoring goals, you know, it's like a, it's relationship. Women are much more relationship oriented. And I think that has probably changed me more than anything else because the last Four years I've been coaching my daughter since she was probably in second grade. And now this was just the past season where I stopped coaching her as, as, as an eighth grader. So I've learned a lot about being around her and her friends and I, I really enjoyed coaching them. Yes? What's the uh, biggest re regret in your life? Biggest regret? Probably what I've mentioned that I did not figure out earlier that I had the ability. I just didn't understand persistence and grit that there are a lot of things I could have done if I had worked harder earlier, but I really didn't know. So I can't necessarily say you should have done, but I didn't know. You can only do as good as you know. I didn't know that much. So I wish I had known more about how my mind and how I learned. Some of you may wonder what my learning disability or difference is. I have a severe case of ADHD and I also deal with depression. No need to feel sorry for me because I've already figured out the benefits of learning and thinking the way I do. Babson is the number one school in the country for the last 16 or more years in teaching undergraduates entrepreneurship. So here's the thing. If you do a search, you'll find out that many entrepreneurs have ADHD or something similar. The same is true with actors, by the way. There's something about ADHD and the ability to think outside the box that creative people have. You can prosper with ADHD. It's not a curse, it's a blessing if, if you understand it. The problem is too many people with ADHD focus on the negatives and not the positives. If you have the right support in place, it will help you deal with your weaknesses and thrive. 
behavioral health professionals diagnosed me with a learning difference as a child, but I never really understood what it was and what it meant. I just felt stupid and unable to do the coursework that my peers could do from elementary school all the way through high school. Many decades later, while taking exams as a doctoral student, it forced me to come to grips with something I had that was different than others, a learning challenge. Since then, I have created strategies and systems that allow me to thrive with the way God has wired my mind. Since being at Babson, how, what's the biggest change um, that you've had in your perspective? Or? I, I used to be more critical of people in business, much more. I have understood what the power of being an, an entrepreneur and go to hire people and empower people and make major changes. That's something that I never saw before. So I am much more of an entrepreneur, much more pro-business, and much more the importance of building wealth because I don't know how a lot of poor people help with people. You want to help people, you better have some money. So that perspective has radically changed since being here. And I don't know if it's just here or just what I started reading in podcasts I listened to, too. yeah. What's your main goal in life? My main goal, make a difference, make a positive difference. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I ask people, you know, in your book of success, if you're going to have three chapters, what would they be to have a positive difference? That's, that's what I'd want on my tombstone, that he made, a, he, had a, he made a positive difference in the world around him. Absolutely. Yep. If you could give one piece of advice to your son or daughter, what would it be, and would it be different? <laughs> no, if it's the same, and they, and they know... Um, don't be normal. That's probably one of the things I tell my kids. Normal sucks. Why would you want to be normal? Be outstanding. And you have to be courageous to not want to be like everybody else. You know, so that's one of the things. Don't conform. Be outstanding. Don't be normal. Good last question. That's a wrap for this show. Thanks for listening. To hear more content like it, go to fredopi.com. If you have questions about advertising and sponsoring this show, contact us at fdopie at gmail.com. That's fdopie at gmail.com. Start with your gift. Understand and monetize it while serving others with it. My lacrosse memoir of having ADHD and just how hard school was for me. It was never easy. Read a sample chapter of Start With Your Gift on my website, fredopi.com.